At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello and welcome to Ascent Dental Radio, a program dedicated to the balance between the clinical aspect of healthcare and the business of healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Coughlin. Good evening. This is Dr. Kevin Coughlin, and you're listening to Ascent Dental Solutions with a focus on knowledge, education, development, and training. I want to thank our sponsors, which is Patterson Dental, Henry Shine, and Vocal Dental Supply Company. Without their support, these podcasts would be very difficult. I also like to give a shout out to David Wolf and his team for providing the professionalism to create these podcasts. Tonight, I thought I would discuss a little bit on the clinical side. I've had a number of guests over the last few months, and this evening, I wanted to tell you a little story about incorporating neuromodulators, more commonly referred to as Botox and fillers, into your dental office. There are a number of reasons why I went down this path, but as many of you know, I am a general dentist. I still practice full-time general dentistry. And many years ago, I started to incorporate neuromodulators or Botox in particular into my practice because of patients who were interested in trying to resolve headache issues. And at that time in my career, I knew little perhaps it would be best described as nothing about neuromodulators other than the cosmetic treatment. In this particular podcast, the incorporation of neuromodulators and fillers into your practice, I think would be a boon to your practice. Also, I think it would uh, stimulate some additional income since in most cases, these are fee-for-service procedures patients who can significantly benefit from your service care and knowledge, and perhaps create a higher level of service and care to your patient base. My recommendation in the first step of incorporating any new procedure or product, but particularly with neuromodulators, are to understand that there are two specific routes that you can go. And certainly you could enjoy following both routes. One is the therapeutic use of neuromodulators in your dental practice. And what I mean by that is every day you're treating team members and patients who I assume have tension headaches, migraine headaches, TMD issues, uh, myofascial pain issues, myalgia, bruxism, clenching, gummy smiles, excessive sweating. From a cosmetic standpoint, most neuromodulators, if you go by the book on label, are generally for cosmetic procedures to reduce fine lines and wrinkles in the upper third of the face. Generally, this is the forehead region, lateral canthus or crow's feet, procera or uh, generically referred to as the 11s, 
and uh, the glabella area, which is that area above the eyebrows. And the goal of these neuromodulators are to paralyze the muscles of expression. And as those muscles of expression are paralyzed or reduced in strength, the fine lines and wrinkles will not occur or will be reduced over time. So to summarize, I believe your practice should take a look at the therapeutic treatment and the cosmetic treatment based on your state or location of practice. Many times there are restrictions on a dentist providing cosmetic neuromodulators uh, to their practice because it's sometimes considered not dental or in the scope of dental care and treatment. I would strongly recommend that you reach out to your malpractice insurance carrier to make sure that you're within the guidelines to provide these services and treatments to your patient base. As far as neuromodulators go, the most familiar, the broadest, the most studied is Botox which is provided by the Allergan Company and has been around the longest. But for information purposes in this podcast, you should know that Xeomin, Juvo, and Dysport are also other neuromodulators that are FDA approved in the United States for the treatment of fine lines and wrinkles. As far as the treatment is concerned, just a brief overview, whether you're using the neuromodulators for therapeutic or cosmetic purposes, generally the Xeomin, Botox, and Juvo are all fairly similar Botox products in that once you receive these from the companies, you have to reconstitute them. As a general rule, the reconstitution is 2.5 mLs of sterile saline to a 100-unit bottle of either Botox, Juvo, or Xeomin. What this creates is 100 units of a neuromodulator. And as a general rule, if we're just going to talk a cookbook, in most cases, the muscles of mastication will require anywhere from 20 to 100 units of neuromodulator to reduce the clenching, bruxism, tension headaches, and migraine headaches. And I'll get into a little more depth as we go on in this podcast, but just keep in mind as an overall cost, generally these neuromodulators will cost the practice approximately $650 for 100 units. That means that every unit that you're injecting is costing your facility at least $6. If you were to just generalize so you get into the meat and potatoes in this podcast, typically anywhere between $10 and $25 per unit, depending on your location, your training, and your expertise, would be a general fee. I've discussed in previous podcasts that the two strategies of fees are one, to charge per unit. So you would quote Mr. and Mrs. Smith a fee per unit. And for simplicity's sake, let's say your fee schedule is $10 and you're putting in 20 units in the right masseter and 20 units in the left masseter, that's 40 units. The fee would be approximately $400. 
As far as chair time, quite honestly, I can't imagine the Botox or the neuromodulator injections taking more than five or 10 minutes of chair time. The biggest amount of time is in the treatment planning and going over the risks, the benefits, the alternatives, and cost. The actual procedure itself is quite quick, and in almost all cases, it's practically painless if you're using a 31-gauge diabetic syringe. With that background, I'd like to go in a little further therapeutic education and knowledge. For 40 years, I've been practicing general dentistry, and for 40 years, I've been trying to understand occlusion, how the teeth function, how the teeth come together in contact. And over and over in my own personal career, listening to many experts in the area of occlusion, I realized one thing, I'm still not quite sure what the hell's going on. What I do know is over and over again, I've seen enormous amounts of my dentistry and other dentist dentistry fail. I've seen broken crowns, broken fixed partial dentures, broken removable partial dentures, failed implants, cracked cusps, wear, abfractions. The lists go on and on for what I see on a day-to-day basis, and I believe all dentists see. And my opinion is, and other experts that I've trained with and learned through, is 90% of almost all temporal mandibular joint problems seem to be associated with the patient's musculature. A brief anatomy review, the masseter muscle, the temporalis muscle, and the medial pterygoid muscle are primarily the muscles responsible for clenching, grinding, or bruxins. This constant irritation and and constant aggravation of these muscles are a great source of tension headaches and failed dentistry. The force that the human jaw can place on the upper and lower teeth are enormous, as we all know. And in my opinion, most of the patients who are complaining of temporal mandibular joint issues, it appears to be that there's a muscular problem. And one of the ways that you can screen your patients inexpensively and quickly is to consider when you look at their facial structure, you will see that many of these patients have a very square structure. They're what we call brachycephalic, meaning they have high cheekbones, they have a very square jaw, their jawline generally tends to be parallel with the floor, and that's because the masseter muscles which are a primary clenching muscle, is like a weightlifter who's constantly doing curls with barbells, and you see them have very large biceps. Patients who grind and clench for a variety of reasons build up these masseter muscles, and these put tremendous force and strains on the natural dentition and for those dentitions that are artificial, whether it be implants, crowns, bridges, et cetera, et cetera. I think a key thing that at least I was missing in my dental education, and perhaps many of you were also, is so we see these things, but how do we treat them and how do we diagnose it? And in my personal opinion, so that we're all talking about the same clinical situations, I would strongly recommend that we review the difference between myalgia, which is pain in a muscle, 
and the pain and the source are in the same location. So the source and the site are in the same location. So when you put four to eight pounds of pressure over four to six seconds in the masseter muscle or the temporalis muscle, you'll find that the patient will say that they have mild, moderate, or severe pain. The next question would be, is, is that pain, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, emanating from right where I'm pressing with my forefinger or thumb, or does that pain radiate caudally, cranially, or in an up direction or down direction? If the site and source of the pain upon this pressure or palpation of these muscles or closing muscles, then you're dealing with a myalgia definition and there's a specific treatment and approach for that particular problem. When the patient says the pain is radiating from the site and source being different, so you're pressing down four to eight pounds of pressure for four to six seconds. And the patient goes, wow, that hurts. I feel that. And you ask them, is the site of the pain right where I'm pressing? And the patient says, no, I feel it moving upwards or downwards. Then by definition, you're dealing with a myofascial pain problem. And the treatment approach would be different than a myalgia problem. I can honestly tell you after 40 years of providing general dentistry, five to six to seven days a week and continuing at this uh, point in time, still practicing full time over and over again, my ability to make this diagnosis and approach this has helped not only my patients and my team, but has saved patients tens of thousands of dollars because I've determined that the issues were muscular before I started the prosthetic treatment. In other words, I know this patient is a severe clencher. I know they're a severe grinder. I see that their masseter muscles are very large. Why wouldn't we want to treat that? And aside from that, you're going to find out that the patient who's been complaining of migraines will significantly say, geez, my headaches aren't as bad as they were, or they no longer exist. And uh, these little tips, in my opinion, will not only help you and your team, but your patients. And I strongly recommend that you look into it. In a brief overview in this particular podcast, the overall treatment for myalgia is typically a spray and stretch. It's ethyl chloride held 12 to 18 inches away from the muscle site protection of the ear and the eyes. And generally that spray is on the muscle in the direction of the muscle fibers for anywhere from four to six seconds. And in most cases, the patient will immediately say, wow, that feels better. That's a pretty darn good indication that your diagnosis was correct and you're loosening and breaking down that muscle from that constant tension and pressure that they create. And you're giving the patient significant relief. The other modes of treatment, obviously, are prescription muscle relaxers, physical therapy, massage. But in many cases, the patient has myofascial pain dysfunction, meaning that the pain is radiating. And we call these trigger points. And in order to reduce Mr. and Mrs. Smith's pain when they're actually diagnosed with myofascial pain, you're actually injecting a needle. Typically, it's a half inch to one inch needle, 22 to 25 gauge needle. And you can either use a dry needle technique where you're breaking down that taut band 
where that nodule in the muscle that's creating the referred pain. And on top of that, you could also consider a wet injection where you're using one or 2% xylocaine with no epinephrine because the epi is a muscle irritant. Or you can add to that your neuromodulator such as Botox, Xeomin, or Juvo. The object of adding the lidocaine and the neuromodulator creates a longer lasting relief for the patient and a much less uncomfortable procedure for the patient when you're doing trigger point injections. In almost all cases, as soon as you hit that right taut band of the muscle, and in this particular case, we're dealing primarily with the masseter muscle and the temporalis muscle, but the splenius capitis, the sternocleidomastoid, the trapezius, the occipital, the frontalis. There are a variety of other muscles where trigger points could be administered to relieve pain. The American Dental Association estimates that approximately 680,000 root canals a year in the United States are done unnecessarily because the patient is saying they have pain in the tooth, but the actual pain is emanating from a trigger point from the muscles that I've just discussed. I strongly recommend you talk to your patients. If you're not aware of these procedures, get yourself educated, uh, listen to experts that are providing training and knowledge in this area. And I think you'll find not only a significant improvement in your bottom line, but I think you'll find your dentistry will last longer and your patients and team members will be much happier. By all means, this is certainly within the scope of a dentist. And for a variety of reasons, it's something that I believe is lacking in most dental educations. I hope you enjoyed tonight's podcast. In closing, my name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin. You're listening to Ascent Dental Solutions with a focus on knowledge, education, training, and development. Again, a special thanks to Patterson Dental, Vocal Dental, and Henry Shine Dental for their support for these podcasts. Have a great evening, and I look forward to talking to you in the near future.